Hi, this is Anna, and you're listening to Sustainability Explored. I'm your guide to the world of corporate social responsibility, uh, environment, social risks, uh, circular economy, and many more. Today, I'm recording this podcast episode from Paris, where I'm attending the workshop or a conference called Energy Transition and Climate Change. Is there a European answer? This episode is brought to you by and supported fully by United Europe. United Europe is an initiative dedicated to the idea of a strong and competitive Europe which can defend its common interests yet respects the diversity of its people. Within the young professional seminars, such as the one we are attending today, um, United Europe wishes to rekindle the younger generation's enthusiasm for Europe, help help it to build a network that stretches across Europe and contributes to solutions for Europe's current problems. One of such problems is the energy transition and global warming that presents us with one of the biggest economic and social challenges in the coming decades and even today. With annually rising temperatures, melting polar ice caps and increasing number of hurricanes and floods, the overwhelming evidence and consensus among climate scientists is that man-made climate change is real, and it's happening right now. This possesses a significant threat for global economies and people's lives in the form of potential major human displacements due to floods and droughts or just malnutrition and famine. Given that current policies, um, the parties to the Paris Climate Agreement, or COP21, set in December 2015, are still far from being on track to meet the goal of limiting global warming to well below 2 degrees. It is questionable whether further global warming can be slowed down or even stopped completely under the given conditions. It is, an, it is unclear how a European or global solution uh, to the problem can be found. So many countries around the world are actually embarking on the transition to sustainable energy system. These transitions will involve uh, fundamental and interrelated changes in technologies and fuels used, infrastructure built, policies employed, markets and institutions. The historic Paris Agreement that I mentioned earlier on climate change sets the course for a fundamental transformation on the global economy over the next decades. Achieving the deep cuts in global carbon emissions that this vision of limiting global um, average temperature rise to well below two degrees requires is no small task given the enormous challenge of implementing and eventually exceeding current country climate pledges or countries, as we're talking about the European Union. So here with me today, I'm having a bunch of extraordinary, extraordinary guests and professionals. Marcus Leipold, who is an energy expert and advisor. He has worked for major global energy companies and the EU public regulator for the past 28 years where he held several management positions in Europe and the USA. He is also a long-standing member of the United Europe. Dinan Drankier 
a policy officer from the field of bioenergy in the Netherlands, Nevena Milutinovic, project coordinator in the engineering company in Serbia, and Mikkel Kajevac, strategy writer of the city of Tallinn. So, hello, dear guests. Hi, hello. The first question will go probably to Marcus. For those listeners and those uh, who are following the podcast Sustainability Explored, to introduce them a little bit more to the topic, what are we talking about? What is the energy transition and what do we mean when we say that? Well, maybe let me start from the basics then. Um, society has always had a certain uh, energy mix. Um, in the uh, past, if you, if you go back 400 years, a large part of that was made up of uh, wood, just uh, basically burning biomaterials. Then uh, during the Industrial Revolution, coal became, uh, got into the mix, made up a huge part of it, and uh, in a large part, enabled the Industrial Revolution, actually. In the 1950s, then, uh, oil came into the fold, and uh, you had the Middle East coming up in, uh, in prominence. And then, uh, maybe 15 years back, uh, natural gas was also increasing significantly in share. Uh, in its share. So when you talk about energy transition, it is really the change in the mix of the fuels that uh, heat our houses, that uh, power our transportation system, that allow our production processes. Uh, I think the interesting question nowadays is, especially as climate change and uh, food production have become uh, uh, significant uh, topics, in the past, if you go from one fuel to the next major fuel, so the change from wood to coal and from coal to oil typically took uh, about 40 years, 40 to 50 years. And I think the question that we are debating nowadays is because of climate change and the conviction that we need to change our energy mix, can that happen at a much faster pace or is it the same 30, 40, 50 years, and the significant change in terms of beating the clock on, on the change is technological development. Uh, so currently, many different technologies are being uh, looked at, uh, so a lot are promising, uh, there are no guarantees. The jury is still out on how to best do it, but that is the challenge everyone is basically working on nowadays, how to um, most quickly get to the energy mix that we think we need in order to live uh, sustainably, resilient, and not have a ne negative impact on the environment. Do you think we are talking today um, about the ways to reduce also our energy consumption rather than change or transition from the energy mix? Is it on the agenda even? I think <clears throat> implicitly uh, people are aware that the, certainly if you look at the decarbonization scenarios which are now being discussed um, up to 2050, that you need massive consumer change. Um, 
I think it has not really dawned on a lot of people yet that it will massively disrupt the lives, um, the way they are currently being uh, led. But uh, it will have to be uh, a major change in consumer behavior. Um, it will be addressed, but I think we're certainly not there yet in terms of people needing to make, if you will, certain sacrifices or just uh, different choices. Because this doesn't have to be a, a negative, uh, limiting um, a choice only, I think. Um, if we do it in a clever way, uh, then I think it's going to be not necessarily painful, but just different, the way we live. You mentioned um, consumer change, consumer behavior. Here I assume we are talking about households and individuals, but as well companies. And that inevitably leads me to the next question. To influence the behavior of companies, what are the political changes, what are the governmental changes, the legal changes and kind of requirements to make this happen? I would like to address this question to Dinan Drankier, the policy officer um, currently working in the Netherlands. Yes, thank you very much. I think that's a very, uh, very good question. Um, well, as a government, you have various policy instruments at your disposal. Um, traditionally, we always distinguish more or less three of them. Um, you can uh, use st stimulative elements, so you can, for example, through, through subsidies, stimulate companies to take a certain pathway to do a certain thing. Um, you can come up with requirements. So, for example, you can require uh, an energy supplier to supply a certain amount of renewable energy. And a third way um, is a more facilitative uh, elements. For example, innovation subsidies to uh, facilitate innovation. Um, for example, a field in which I personally work is bioenergy. Well, you, changing the way the grid is managed, uh, making other rules for grid management can also facilitate uh, an uptake of, for example, biomethane. So through these three instruments, you try to, um, well, to, 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 to stimulate or to push companies to, to take a certain pathway. Would it be right to say that, for example, in the case, and anyone can jump in here, um, but in case in, of Netherlands, um, are there massive um, coal, oil uh, industries that would be aggressively lobbying against this change? Um, I would argue from a personal perspective that in the Netherlands we have quite a, a consensual uh, a democracy model, so we really work together quite a lot. It's the traditional polder model, it's often called. And I think a good example of that is our recent climate agreement. Um, in 2019, um, more than 100 parties in the Netherlands collectively signed a climate agreement and in that climate agreement these parties which are companies, which are governments, which are NGOs, they uh, collectively decided uh, on a set of measures to come to uh, a 49% uh, CO2 reduction in 2030. So it's, uh, measures can be, can be difficult, can be painful, but um, through including all parties you can find a middle ground which, which provides for, for a good way forward. Mikael, as a strategy writer for the city of Tallinn, what's the timeline of, of your strategy until when do you set the goals? And maybe you can share some 
you know, steps and active action plan, some steps that you include in your, in your strategy for Estonia and specifically the city of Tallinn in terms of energy transition and climate change? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, basically uh, we can say that um, uh, the world is urbanizing very fast. This means that uh, uh, a, an important part of the energy transition is going to be played out in, in cities and how cities use energy. Of course, it's not, uh, not only like cities, not a self-contained uh, mechanism, for example, uh, I can say on the example of Estonia that uh, uh, also if Tallinn uh, were to be the most uh, forward uh, running uh, uh, front, front runner in energy uh, transformation, uh, the, the, the country of Estonia is not, uh, we have uh, like 80% of our energy comes from a not even coal, we have a very uh, strange and not very um, common uh, energy source, source, which is oil shale. Uh, only like Jordan and the United States also use it. But let's say it's in the league of coal. It's very polluting and uh, it also actually means that uh, uh, Estonia is the only country in Europe um, uh, where, uh, for example, taking an electric car uh, would actually pollute more than a, a normal uh, normal uh, gasoline car. So uh, we cannot take uh, things in isolation, but uh, uh, I will take the liberty of, of uh, where in, uh, from Dinand you asked from company behavior, I will take the consumer part then because you divided it before in two. And I think uh, the cities have uh, quite a big uh, effect on, on uh, consumer, uh, like uh, how we consume energy. And this actually means that uh, uh, lifestyles uh, in a way have to change. Um, uh, this means that uh, maybe we should not uh, take uh, uh, the personal car and drive it alone uh, to work where we uh, like um, park it 95% of, of a car's lifetime, it, it stays parked. Uh, it has climate implications, it has um, uh, air pollution implications, but it also has other implications which are not uh, climate related, uh, uh, at least not directly. It also has, uh, for example, uh, implications of, of space uh, if you have to build uh, uh, big roads and parking lots, uh, then you cannot uh, build uh, parks and uh, city squares. Uh, this is in a simplistic way uh, the logic. So uh, uh, we try to take with the Tallinn uh, 2035 strategy, which also self-explains the, the, the timeline. Uh, we try to take uh, this kind of um, uh, holistic and uh, proactive role in, in, in uh, designing also uh, these um, uh, consumer behaviors uh, because uh, in, in local governments, uh, basically uh, where you invest, where you put your money, you get, uh, you get the results. 
for example, Tallinn in the last 20 years uh, has uh, invested uh, most of its investment money into roads and, surprise, surprise, we have uh, uh, actually uh, 140 uh, more uh, cars uh, per thousand people than the European medium. So Tallinn is heavily, heavily uh, uh, car-centered. Uh, now, uh, it doesn't only mean that roads are better for cars. It all also means that uh, uh, every euro you invest into, into a road, uh, uh, you, you cannot invest into, into trams or, or, uh, or uh, bicycle lanes or, or whatever. Uh, this tilts the, the, uh, the picture even more. So uh, with, the, with the new strategy, we aim to create an environment which uh, uh, stands on, on, on four pillars. And uh, the, the first is, um, is uh, uh, mobility. I'll bring it first, but there is no actual order. Uh, mobility, which should be more active. Uh, uh, active means uh, that uh, actually in city space you have uh, walking and uh, and uh, cycling uh, preferred. They are the least uh, carbon uh, emitting, uh, well, uh, we might say zero emitting uh, uh, mobilities. Uh, then public transport, which forms uh, uh, good public transport, which corresponds to the needs of people uh, and might be also defined in another way as a multimodal transport uh, that you for example, have an app and, and uh, first take the car, then uh, the tram, and uh, for the last kilometer, maybe a, a, an electric scooter. Uh, and uh, and uh, leave uh, car mobility as the last one. Not to harass uh, car owners, but actually to provide uh, possibilities for everybody else, because now it's certainly off balance. Uh, it is accompanied by... Uh, by uh, uh, a network uh, uh, of, um, of greenery uh, and uh, we aim to make it as uh, uninterrupted as uh, possible and in Tallinn strangely enough it is as it is quite a, a dispersed city it is uh, quite possible to make uninterrupted uh, uh, green networks which will provide like also possibilities for mobility but they also provide uh, like um, lungs for the city. They provide uh, um, uh, they provide also uh, 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 possibilities to to uh, um, uh, let's say hold or maintain the biodiversity uh, and uh, and also like project uh, uh, have better uh, mental health, uh, have uh, happier citizens. And uh, 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 like the uh, uh, third and the fourth pillar uh, are good public space, which means then uh, um, city uh, piazzas and and uh, events uh, going on, on on good city streets, not roads, not car roads, but city streets. And uh, and uh, the last, which like uh, then uh, encircles everything, is uh, is creating this kind of uh, space for learning and innovation because uh, uh, there are enough studies to suggest that if people actually bump into each other, if people 
like uh, uh, see each other by chance. Uh, uh, there is, uh, and then you maybe chat or, or you make some kind of other uh, heureka moment. Uh, uh, there is uh, more innovation, there is more uh, interaction between people, less loneliness, important, uh, more learning from each other, and, uh, and uh, I think uh, uh, most importantly of all, uh, societies that have more like this kind of public interaction have less segregation, so uh, everything is, is united. Of course, there are other very important topics which, which support these four pillars, but uh, uh, it is, uh, we uh, perceive the, these four as the most important ones. Thank you very much. I heard recently from another Estonian colleague about so-called green electricity certificate, which kind of allows you to buy um, a paper probably uh, that ensures your electricity to your household is coming only from the renewable energy sources. Could you share a little bit more on how this system works, how much maybe does it cost, and how, most importantly, how acceptive people in general are of this idea? Mm -hmm. I'm no expert in, on this, but, uh, but basically, yes, it's an, a consumer option. Uh, while I was uh, very critical of Estonian energy production, we actually have made good progress on also. Notwithstanding that it was easy progress, we have uh, we have met and and exceeded the, the 2020 goals already now for re renewable energy, and this basically means that uh, your your energy comes from solar. Uh, uh, if if you choose this uh, this uh, electricity uh, product uh, this uh, with with this um, label, then it means that it comes from solar, uh, wind. We don't have much hydro, but, uh, but it all comes from renewable sources. In part, it's also biomass, of which there is also, let's say, in partly I would also be critical because sometimes it's, it's uh, at least uh, in Estonia, it's, it's also greenwashing, but let's say at least the intention is there. Uh, and it means that uh, your your energy will cost a bit more, which uh, of course makes it uh, um, uh, a very good option for a for a vegan cafe, which uh, charges uh, uh, four euros for a coffee, and uh, and um, and also for consumers uh, who are uh, better off. Uh, nevertheless, uh, for people who are not so well off and actually are struggling uh, uh, to, to main, main, uh, remain afloat, of course, uh, they go for the, the cheapest uh, option uh, and run on oil shale uh, as, uh, since the 30s. Thank you very much for sharing. Um, now I would like to, to leave a little bit the European Union, uh, technically speaking, and shift a little bit to the Balkans. Nevena, on the example of Serbia, um, how is the government tackling the climate change? Are there any particular steps undertaken so far? And what is happening in the energy transition if uh, anything does happen at all um, in Serbia? Thank you. Uh, we'll start with the energy transition. And unfortunately, there are no 
major steps in transition. So for the past few decades, uh, the most of energy mix comes from the uh, coal, I think more than 60%. Then the next one is uh, hydropower. And then of course, uh, oil. Uh, in that sense, uh, Serbia is um, dependent on Russian oil. And there was a project of South Stream that actually uh, haven't been realized. So now we are still dependent on oil from Russia that comes from Hungary and Ukraine. So the, in that sense, so there, I don't think there is a major idea or policies on how to shift to renewables. And honestly, I don't see even the uh, any uh, policies that that would uh, back that up. And as for um, uh, environment, like few weeks ago, actually Belgrade set a negative example. The capital was the most polluted city in, in Europe. And uh, as for the energy efficiency, also I don't think that we are really good examples so because there are the numbers of which states that um, uh, Serbia is very energy insufficient because we uh, spend at least twice as much energy than the average European, so in terms of households. So I, I feel like that there is the, uh, really the need and uh, uh, from the from the government and they also signed the agreements with EU that makes them obliged to to follow it but I don't think in, on a, on every day and the daily basis level that there are some some changes so hopefully that would that would change Thank you. speaking of the changes and the timelines that we have, Yesterday I heard an interesting thought. The planet will be there. The question is whether the humans will still be there when the temperatures rise, right? There is a very ambitious goal to keep, quote unquote, well below two degrees, the temperature below two degrees. Um, Marcus, what are your estimations, maybe predictions? What do you see happening? How much time do we have and maybe what to do? Well, a couple of thoughts, maybe. Um, we're all Europeans around the table. Um, Europe's greenhouse gas emissions are 9% of the global share, or 8%. Europe is not the biggest problem. Even if we were carbon neutral by 2050, if no other region were to follow and would stay on the current trajectories, um, overall, we wouldn't be able to change that much. So one question is, um, assuming we're successful in our energy transition towards decarbonization, how do we best pull others along? Meaning whichever projects and changes we make, first of all, they need to make sense for Europe in its own right. Um, I'm quite um, convinced that others will then naturally follow. If it is projects where Europe really um, benefits, others would want to copy this. Um, prior to others being able to see the successes, there might be intermediate steps 
um, which is corporations with uh, think tanks, with companies, uh, companies with more proven technologies already going out globally. So maybe the timeline can be, can be shortened. Um, another important point for me is whenever we talk about uh, COP21 and keeping the temperature rises to uh, well below 2 degrees, um, around 1.5, there are still many people that uh, say, well, it is, if my summers tend to be 1.5 degrees higher, maybe it's actually not that bad, or even 2% or 3% higher. Um, is, it really, is it really that crucial that we um, try to set everything in motion now? Shouldn't we wait a bit until it becomes clearer? I think it's important to view the world as such and the natural environment, just like our human bodies. With 37 uh, degrees, we are perfectly healthy. At 2% higher, 39 degrees, we are extremely sick. The same is true for the natural environment. So if we're talking 2-3% increases in temperature, it is significant, and we, will, and we do not know what the uh, changes uh, will be. Um, you then immediately come on to, should you just look at mitigation? Should you do mitigation adaptation at the same time? Um, there are various different histories in terms of just the EU member states, but also elsewhere in the world. What I'm, so what I'm saying is, um, I think it is a serious enough challenge that needs to be tackled now. Um, how successful we will be in terms of um, adapting, mitigating, reversing it, I don't know. Um, certainly technology will play a big part of it. Um, as consumers and as uh, employees and as business leaders, we need to stay very flexible. Uh, not rooted in the past and uh, just be a bit more willing to also play, test, fail. Um, and if we, if we are successful in uh, keeping the energies, our personal energy levels and, and going for these uh, sort of changes and allowing for them, uh, I'm still quite optimistic. But how successful, by when we will be, I really don't know. Uh, I'd like to pick up on Marcus is saying that uh, that uh, Europe uh, is only eight percent and um, and uh, continue from his thought that uh, Europe is is an example because uh, for example me I was born in the Soviet Union it's really crazy to think about it but I was and I've I've seen the and you too yeah of course. Uh, and I've seen uh, when we got independent and uh, uh, I've seen this um, like admiration for the Western uh, uh, way of life. Now that uh, uh, we have almost or, or getting, getting there, uh, um, uh, I can say that uh, uh, this model of life uh, doesn't have to be this, um, uh, this consumerist, this, uh, uh, this way. It doesn't have to be so um, so energy uh, rich. So uh, as uh, as for for the effect Europe can give to to, to the um, uh, energy transition transition, 
it's in big part it's uh, it's uh, like uh, being uh, a good model instead of a bad model and uh, of course uh, like help others uh, to make the transitions by by knowledge maybe investments and and uh, uh, good incentives thank you Outside of the European Union, for example, in Serbia, are there any countries in particular that Serbia takes example from and uses as role models in, in terms of energy transition? Um, I'm not sure of whether they are role models, but for sure uh, Serbia's goal is to enter EU to become full member, so I guess EU is a like overall model and should look up to and follow its rules and regulation and over time to try to 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 reach them and more more importantly to implement because we have been suffering very obvious climate change in the past few years the temperature is rising we have been suffered uh, huge floods so we already become vulnerable. People are feeling that they, the climate is changing, there's something has to be done. So we don't have to look too far for role models. EU is just our next door, so we should, we should find it there. And, and within the EU, I will probably not misinform anyone. At least it, it seems to me that the Netherlands are, is the country that is of most concern and has this state, alarmed state of, of concern about the climate change. And Univena, you just mentioned floods. Maybe Drunkier, uh, maybe Dinant Drunkier can add a couple of words from, from the Dutch example. What does the country do? Well, um, the Netherlands is in uh, the position that a large uh, percentage of the country is uh, below the sea level. So as a Dutchman, you learn how to live with the water. Um, and um, sea level rises, but also flooding risks from rivers. Uh, they make that additional um, effort also needs to be made in the field of climate, climate adaptation. And uh, in our case, it's really um, a lot of waterworks which need to be made uh, in order to keep the Netherlands uh, uh, safe and, and dry. And it's also a skill that uh, you see now worldwide is increasingly in demand, uh, for example, in the US, but also beyond Dutch uh, water builders, water companies are increasingly taking a role in building dikes over there and, and increasing resilience of societies against water, uh, water dangers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you very much, everyone, for this fruitful and very interesting enriching discussion. I hope you also enjoyed and learned something. Just to add on a positive note, maybe, Marcus, you can wrap it all up. Well, um, I would say certainly the willingness to change the energy systems and to think differently is, is more and more there. Um, very positive, um, I think, is also that the costs of a lot of renewable energies have come down significantly. Solar and wind uh, are becoming really, really competitive. Um, again, this is due to people trying to improve the technologies, uh, thinking differently. If you look at how 
the actual wind rotor blades are designed now, it is significantly different to what the designs were uh, just 20 years ago. Um, so you see optimized kit um, everywhere being much more fit for purpose. Uh, so if we keep along this path of seeing technology certainly as aiding us in all these processes uh, and not something that we should uh, shy away from. Plus, if we get uh, societies uh, in the Western world to do a little bit of less nimbyism and really implement the technologies uh, much more efficiently that already exist, um, where we are currently hampered, then we will be able to move uh, forward faster. So there are many, many positive signs already. And uh, we are in uh, France here. There's the famous sort of morosité, uh, which is a bit like the Hungarian, the glass is always half empty. Um, I think just with a also sort of spirit of mind, which is more along the Brazilian, that the glass is always half full, we can actually achieve a lot more. Thank you very much for, for being here with me today. Uh, I would just like briefly uh, to briefly remind the listeners that this episode was brought to you and fully supported by the United Europe. The organization and initiatives that stands for European values uh, looks up to the bright European future, uh, promotes the diversity and youth participation. Uh, we've been recording this episode from Paris, France, and stay tuned for more. Thank you for being here with us today. Goodbye. Mm -hmm.